expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. From ICRT, this is Hearsay, a show that features live storytelling from the real-life experiences of your friends and neighbors in Taiwan. I'm Keith Manconi, and in this hour, we'll be listening to some of the stories from Taipei Story Slam's June event. During the event, storytellers were asked to prepare a seven-minute story based on the night's theme, Lost and Found, with stories of getting mixed up, turned around and off course, only to find yourself where it was you were going all along. As always, we gave a couple of rules to our storytellers. First, their stories had to be true, they had to be from personal experience, and they had to be told completely from memory. On today's show, we're going to be hearing about an innocent childhood fib that just kept going, the perils of volcano tourism, and just what happens when lost foreigners climb into a stranger's car in Taiwan. But first up, we're going to hear from American expat Apelles Johnson, who's going to take us on an epic quest to the toy store. Here he is, live at Taipei Story Slam. When I was five years old, uh, I got lost. But how I got lost and the reasons why I got lost was quite, is quite interesting. Um, so, a couple of days before, my father and I uh, and my family members, we went to a place called Toys R Us, which was huge at the time. There's all kinds of toys from everywhere, all over the walls. And we're going through Toys R Us, and my father's with me. My father's like, okay... Um, you take a look around, like if you see anything you like, we may be able to get it, we might not. So we're looking around, and we find out about money. Because if you don't have money, you can't get things at Toys R Us. <laughs> so we look at different things, and we discover this because my, fa- my father sees an Iron Man doll. right? It's Iron Man Marvel action figure. And my father's like, man, that's cool, but I don't have money. I can't get it. So we're like, oh. Okay, well, so we go home, and recently me and my older brother, Adam, he's two years older than me, so he's seven, I'm five, Um, we recently heard about nocturnal animals, animals that are awake at night and sleep during the day. So we had been secretly doing this experiment for about two weeks of, we would tell our parents we were going to sleep, and then we would wake up at night. And we would just play with our... We wouldn't do anything. We would get up, we would brush our teeth, we would make sure our hygiene was okay. And then we would just play with toys all night. We thought it was awesome. My mom was freaking out because she thought, like, my kids are lethargic during the day. They can't move. They can't do anything. What's going on? But so... But we, we were having a blast. We had this whole secret life that was just between me and him. It was awesome. So one this, this night, we're awake, and we're like, okay, my dad really wants this Iron Man toy. And my brother's like, yo, we should go get it for him. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. We should do that. So my mom, when she tells this story, she keeps reminding everyone that we were five and seven. Like we were, <laughs> we were so tiny. But we get this idea. We're like, no, our dad's awesome. He deserves an Iron Man toy. We, sa- we had saved up our money, so we're like, we're going to go get it for him. So we get our backpacks. We get, like, sandwiches made of relish and cheese, I think. And we pack our own sandwiches made of relish and cheese. And we're like, okay, we're going to go. So we get our backpacks. We head out now. It's, it's in the middle of the night. And 
the place, the Toys R Us from where we live is like 10 minutes away driving. We're going to walk to this place, and the plan is to get there and come back before anyone wakes up. Because in our minds, we're like, it takes 10 minutes to get there. (laughs) So we'll get back in plenty of time. So we start walking. We go through, like, the two most dangerous intersections in my city. And we get there, and we realize we left our money at home. So how are we going to get the Iron Man toy without money? So we had a couple of toys in our backpacks. And we're like, we're at a Toys R Us. If we stand in front of the to- people are coming here to get toys, we'll stand in front of the Toys R Us and we'll sell the toys to people <laughs> before they come inside. So we're like, foolproof, we're going to do it. And we try to sell like McDonald's Happy Meal toys for like five, ten dollars <laughs> So we're out there trying to sell these toys. And this is about the time when my parents wake up and they're like, okay, where where are our kids? They're gone. So they're they're freaking out. They're running everywhere. They call the police. Um, they get a helicopter, so the helicopter's looking for us. And like, <laughs> it's like it's it's because they're, they're looking because they think these kids have been kidnapped. So like as we realize, we're like, okay, after after a little while, we realize we're not going to be able to make enough money here because nobody's buying these toys. So we decide. Let's go to the pawn shop. If we go to the pawn shop, we could get money for these toys. So we start on our way to the pawn shop. Now, a pawn shop is a place where you can like you take like old like jewelry or electronics and you take them and you exchange it for money. And we had gone there before with my with our parents to get different get money for different stuff. So we're like, this is a great idea. We'll just go there. So we start going there, and about this time, the lady from inside the Toys R Us comes outside looking for us, because I guess she gets a call on the radio, there's these two kids that are missing. And she's like, there's two kids right outside. <laughs> so she goes out, and she's going out looking for us, and we decide to dip into this ravine. Now, later on, we find out that she knows this because the helicopter spotted us. And the helicopter calls home and is like, um, do they have their backpacks? My mom checks, the backpacks are gone. So he's like, yes, they have their backpacks. So he's like, okay, I think we found them. Uh, no, wait, we just lost them. Because <laughs> we dipped into this ravine. And we're like, yes, we're ninjas. So we said we hide because we're like we are determined we're gonna get this thing. So we hide inside the ravine, and then we climb out. We go through this alley and we find this little like silver watch on the ground. We're like, yo, we can definitely pawn this. So we pick it up and we take it to the pawn. We're going to the pawn store. And we get there and they're like, um, you all are. Where are your parents? You're like, don't worry about it. Here, we have this watch. Here, it's uh, it's good for at least five dollars. Come on, man. Five. So. They're like, no, you have to be 18 to come in here. So we're like, man. So our idea is, there's another pawn shop up the street. Maybe that guy won't be so stingy. So we start going over to the other pawn shop, and halfway there, we see these railroad tracks that's down on the like down beneath this bridge. And my brother's like, yo, let's get on the train. And I'm like, where will we go? And he's like, I don't know, but it sounds awesome. But before we get on the train, the bu- there's a bus driver who comes up and sees us, and she stops the bus, and she's like, where are you going? And we're like, uh, uh, there's a train down. 
So she's like, no, get on the bus. So she gets us on the bus, and we're driving back home. And as we're driving this way, my father is in his van driving the other way, and he looks in through the window, and he sees us going, and he's like, uh, and we just look at him. He's like, uh, we're going to get it when we get home. <laughs> so that's my story. I lost it now. I hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you. That was Apelles Johnson. He's an English teacher at a private school and is also a poet and playwright. Once again, the theme of the night was lost and found. And, you know, that phrase kind of sums up the experience of travel, if you think about it. After all, the only way to get someplace new is to leave something else behind. And no matter how much you find in the new place, there's always something that's been lost. So I asked Apelles if he feels like in coming to Taiwan, he had to leave anything behind. And what it was he found once he got here. He summed up the loss end of things in one word. The first thing that I lost was just love. Like, there was, there's a lot of um, transience between people that live here. And so there's always this feeling of, amongst people you work with, amongst people that you perform with, there's uh, a, a care for the other people that are there. Everybody cares about each other. But there's not a deep, loving connection. Like, it feels like people are scared to make that deep connection to other people because they know as soon as they leave, it's not going to be there. But I would say one thing that has developed because of that is my ability to be confident in myself, to be able to take care of myself on a, on a deep, mentally healing level. Like, I'm able to repair myself. Like, if a tragedy happens, I'm able to take some time out for myself, go to places and do things that I know actually will heal me without anybody else there. And that's something that I don't think you have when you have a lot of people around you that love you and take care of you and are like, and deeply invested in your future. Like, when it's just you deeply invested in your future, you realize that I can still be okay. I've done it before. I know that I can still be okay no matter what happens. So it's a good, Taiwan's a good place that allows for you to see both. Like, it allows you to build yourself and still have a good group of friends that you're around with. All right, we're going to take a little break. Hearsay will be back in just a moment with more stories from Taipei Story Slam. Welcome back to Hearsay. I'm Keith Manconi. If you're just joining us today, we're listening to stories from Taipei Story Slam's June event. Today's theme, Lost and Found. Those paths that lead us astray, only to put us right back on course. Up next, we're going to hear from Leila Pereira about one of her many adventures exploring Taiwan and, spoiler alert, getting a little lost in the process. Here she is. Tonight I'm going to tell a story about um, one of the first few adventures that I had when I first moved to Taiwan. And there were many. Uh, I first started working at a cram school, and uh, they really load up the hours on the new teachers. So we were working six days a week. And so we had Sunday. And Sunday was day trip day, and we just tried to make the most of that one day we had. And we tried to get to know as much of Taiwan as we could. I had a roommate at a time. She was from the States. And... Uh, 
uh, while looking through uh, one of those ABC Live magazines, they had a feature on Awanda Park, which is in, in Nanto County. And we had no idea where Nanto was at the time, but we thought, wow, this is a cool place. We should go there because it's got the maple leaves. They change color. It's just like back home. You know, we're feeling a little uh, homesick by then. So, you know, it's like we, we, we should go there. We should definitely set this as a day trip and uh, we should go to this place because it's going to be awesome. And it was a severely overambitious goal for one day as we learned on um, trying to uh, get there. Uh, the first step was we got on a train from Taoyuan City and we went to Taichung, which is about an hour and a half of a train ride. From Taichung, we had to take another uh, a bus to Puli, which was about another two hours. And then from Puli, we had to take another bus to another place called Wuxi. And while on the bus to Wuxi, we stopped at a bus stop where a severely drunken man had to be escorted off the bus. Uh, so that was uh, at, eight, at approximately 11 o'clock in the morning. So that was an interesting part of the adventure already. So we, we managed to find the sign that says Awanda National Park, and it said 12 kilometers. So we figured, okay, well, we can start walking, and if we see a bus or a taxi, we'll just flag it down, and then we'll hop on for the rest of the way. 12 kilometers, that's nothing. So we start walking. And we're, uh, you know, uh, admiring the scenery. Very, very beautiful. There's like this uh, river, just amazing turquoise-colored river. Uh, we're taking photos like mad. But then we noticed that the time was starting to uh, pass, and we weren't getting any closer to any other signs that said the park was nearby. So then we started trying to flag people down. Um, uh, at this time, the, our Chinese skills were pretty much non-existent. So it was a, a mixture of pantomiming, grunting, and gestures uh, to get any kind of point across. So we, we tried to flag down a couple of people. Some of them just saw our foreign faces and drove by faster. Um, some uh, tried to stop but realized we couldn't speak Chinese and then left. Uh, one guy stopped and, you know, he rolls down his window and I said, you know, I point to myself and my friend and I say, Awanda! Hmm? And, and he, he looks at me and he looks at my friend and he just does this. Five minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, decades? I'm not sure what that means. And then he just shook his head and he drove off. And so by this point, like, okay, um, we're kind of in the middle of nowhere. We have no idea where we are. We don't have any cell phones on us. We don't have a map. <laughs> we don't know where we're going, but now we're sort of too far to turn back. And we were determined. We were absolutely determined to get to this park because now we travel so far to get to it, we were just wanting to turn around and, and, and leave. So finally, we were able to wave down uh, a, a really nice gentleman in, in this van and he spoke English, and we've never been thrilled to talk to another person uh, as we were with that man because he, he understood us, and we could communicate with each other, which was great. So uh, we asked him, he said, sir, uh, we we're going to Awanda, and uh, how far is it? The sign said about 12 kilometers. Surely it must only be eight or so left. And he's like, oh, no, more like 30. Uh, but what? <laughs> but but the sign, the sign said 12. Why would it tell us 12 if it was not 12? That doesn't make any sense. Um, and so, you know, we looked at each other and he said, well, listen, um, can you, are you going that way? And he said, well, I'm going to the end of, of the road and then I'm going to turn to the left and the park's to the right. And then we said, well, would you please be able to take us as far as you can go? And that would already help us. We're, we're, we're determined to go to this park today after you know he tried very hard to persuade us to turn around and just go back home but we weren't listening we were very very determined um and so 
he, he cleared the clutter from the back of his van, which was very excessive. It was an extremely cluttered van. But, you know, he threw stuff around and he made room for us. And we got in. And five minutes into the drive, he stops the car and he says, this is a really nice place. We should stop and take a photo. <laughs> okay, sure. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah, all right. Uh, so we get, off, get down from the car and we stop. And yay, we take a photo. Um, we get back into the van and he says... I've changed my mind. I'm going to drive you girls to the park. And we were like, wow, this is so awesome. Well, you're being so nice. This is great. So um, uh, we started chatting uh, in the car, uh, in the van, and we got to know each other a little bit, and we introduced ourselves, and we asked him, well, so do, do you have an English name? And, uh, you know, he, he kind of paused, and he looks into the mirror. We're sitting in the back, and he's like, yes, I am Rambo. <laughs> and... You know, at that point, he could have said he was called Michael Jackson, and we would have just let it slide because, hey, this guy was giving us a free ride to a park 30 kilometers away and saving us from severely blistered feet. Uh, So we just, all right, Rambo, nice to meet you. Thanks a lot for helping us out. That's great. Um, So we got into the park, and we didn't pay pay the entrance fee because he was a Nanto resident, so we didn't even have to pay to get in. And so he parks the van, and, you know, we say, thank you so much. You've been very helpful. We're, we're going to let you go on your way now because his phone kept ringing like crazy and he just kept talking on it. We had no idea what was going on because it was a Chinese and we didn't understand. So uh, w- uh, we get down from the van and he's like, no, 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 no. I, I know this park, like the back of my hand. I come here three times a year. I'll take you to the best spots in the least amount of time. And so, well, are you, are, you know, we, you've really been so helpful already. We really don't want to put you out anymore. Um, but he insisted and so I turned to my friend and I said, all right, now, he's being a little too friendly. If he tries anything, you got upper body, I got lower body. Got it? All right, got it. Good. So we, we, had, a, we, had, a, we had an attack plan in case uh, things went sour. So sure enough, he, he took us all around the park. We saw the most amazing sights in the, the, like he promised, the least amount of time. And we were blown away by this. And we said, well, okay, now we really have to get back to the bus stop because the last bus leaves at 7 o'clock sharp. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck here in the middle of the mountains and we need to get back because we'd, we'd already bought our train tickets back to Taoyuan. Um, so he's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. My girlfriend, she will drive you down to the city. He's like, no, no, really, 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 it's okay. We can get there on our own. Um, so uh, instead of driving us to the bus stop, he kept going. And now we're really getting really scared because, oh, my God, he's taking us into a residential area. All these uh, horrible scenarios start flashing through your mind. And then he stops the car in front of this raging house party. And, and he tells, okay, sure, ladies, get out. Um, get yourself some drinks, some food. And we're like... Wait, what, what is this? What's happening? Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to tell you. It's my grandmother's 85th birthday today, and you've been invited as our guests of honor. Um, and so we ended up going from completely lost to um, ending up in an aboriginal uh, birthday party that had a shaman and a priest for some reason. Um, and it was the most awesome time ever. And they, they drove us to the next town. And till this day, my friend and I sit there Thing, wondering if this actually really happened, but it did. So that's my story. Thank you for listening. That was Layla Pereira. She's lived in Taiwan for six years teaching English. When she's not teaching, she continues her exploration of Taiwan with hiking, river tracing, and scootering around the island. Now, with all that traveling, this isn't the only time she's gotten lost in Taiwan. And Layla says... This isn't even her only story about getting saved by a good Samaritan Taiwanese person. But she says after about her first two years here, she's more or less gotten her bearings.
you, you get used to things and, you know, it's just confidence. If you've been here for a while and, and you, you get to know how things work and you pick up the Chinese, then everything else just starts falling into place. And um, I'm very comfortable. I'm very, very comfortable stage of my life here in Taiwan. And sometimes you get Taiwanese people asking me for advice. Like, hey, where, where should I travel to? I haven't, I haven't really been anywhere. What do you think is a good idea? And then I get to give them advice because I've traveled around the island quite a bit. So it's, it's kind of nice. Sticking with the theme of the night, lost and found, I wanted to know if Layla felt that she left anything behind when she came to Taiwan. She told me that she's lived in quite a few different places, and there's always a little bit of something that she misses from each one. Just to give you the quick rundown, she was born in Brazil but moved to Canada when she was eight, and she's got fond foodie memories of both places. Even today, she still misses Tim Horton's coffee and donuts from Canada, and in Brazil, she can wax nostalgic about the all-you-can-eat meat buffets. But she says Taiwan has got its own offerings. There's always little pieces of, of places that, that, that stick with me when, whenever I move on. But, you know, I think in Taiwan, you know, you, you discover new, new addictions, new loves, and things that are, are a lot better than in other places. Not quite replacements, but still good. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a very big fan of the shaved ice desserts here. Um, and if you told me six years ago that I would be actually craving a giant pile of ice with sweet beans and tapioca balls on it, I would have told you that you were crazy. But here I am now in Taiwan, and that's exactly <laughs> what things are like. All right, up next, we're going to be hearing from Canadian expat Brandon Thompson. Once again, we're going back to childhood for this story. We've already had Apelli's and his toy store Odyssey. Now we're getting a second dose of brotherly love, or maybe shenanigans? Tomfoolery? Straight up shysting? I, I don't know what the right word here is, actually. I guess you're going to have to make up your own mind what to call this. Here's Brandon Thompson, live at Taipei Story Slam. When I was younger, I was about 10 years old, maybe 11. Um, every weekend, my parents would plan different excursions all around. I, I'm from southwestern Ontario, Canada. Then we'd, They'd plan different trips. You know, My father would take us one weekend, and my mother would take us another weekend, my brother and I. I have a younger brother named Tyler. And Tyler's, uh, he's about six years younger than me. Yeah, exactly, six years. And um, Tyler, you know, he's a, well... He's awesome. I love him. Um, and we've grown closer since. But when we were younger, of course, brothers, we fight. Brothers fight. That's what you do as brothers. And I remember one time, this one trip, my mother took us to a strawberry field, like a, you know, where you go to pick strawberries, right? And you have to go and, you know, you, you pay money, basically, to pick strawberries and put them in, the, in little buckets or little, you know, baskets, thank you, a basket of strawberries. Yeah, that's right. But they, these were giant baskets. Anyways, all day, all day we were like there for five hours. We're picking strawberries and putting, you know, you, you know how it is. You put one strawberry in the basket and then you eat one strawberry. And you just, and of course you throw them at your brother and he has red all over his arms and stuff. And then I basically, we filled up one basket each, myself, my brother. My mother had like two or three because I think she was going to make jam or something. She put it in the back of the car. 
And of course, she put us in the back seat because she didn't want me in the front seat or my brother in the front seat because I would kick the front seat because he was annoying and, and, <laughs> or I was annoying. It doesn't matter. Point is, is we fought the whole way there and the whole way back. And on the way home, I remember it's, it's sundown and my mother's driving and we're about an hour and a half away. So as she's driving, I noticed that my brother, he's got his basket of strawberries on his lap and I've got my basket of strawberries and I'm eating as we go because it's boring you know there's nothing to do this was before I I spy and that stuff so I basically yeah so so I'm eating strawberries you know you do that when you're bored I notice that I'm I see the bottom of my basket and I see my brother to who to this day by the way saves everything he saves money really well I spend it he saves it he was saving. He didn't eat one strawberry. It's just sitting on his lap, the basket. And I, I look over at him, and I'm like, God. This. So I see that he's itching his neck. Now, a mosquito had bit him. We were out in the field for a while. A mosquito had bit him, and he was itching his neck. And it, it, it got quite red. And I thought to myself, um, we had a cousin at the time who was allergic to bees. And my father was like, oh, if you are allergic to something, you could die. And I, I remembered that. And to my brother, who was about a four-year-old, uh, he wasn't a genius, obviously. So, so and I, I knew, you know, I was like, Tyler, oh my God, Tyler. Oh my God. Did you eat strawberries? The, the, the most ridiculous question, of course, because he was eating strawberries. But did you eat any strawberries? He's like, yes. Oh, oh yeah. Oh my God. You, you have a rash. I think you're allergic. I think you're allergic to strawberries. And I was like, Mom, Tyler's allergic to strawberries. And my mom's like, Tyler, stop eating strawberries. She's just driving and she's looking in the rear view, you know. And my brother's like, oh my God, I've got all these strawberries. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do. I mean, I could, I could, I could take them off your hands because I love you. And I'll just eat these. And I just ate them. I was... It's now, yeah, I feel bad now. When I th- but at the time, you know, at the time, that was a guilty pleasure. Um, and uh, so when I was 12, uh, my parents divorced and my father moved to a different city. And when I was 13, I moved in with my father because I just couldn't handle my mom's rules. So my brother stayed with my mother and I stayed with my father. And there was about eight years where Tyler and I really didn't talk at all, and we were kind of strangers. Um, I didn't see him at all. And then we st- slowly in my 20s, we started getting you know, reacquainted and, and feeling more like brothers and feeling more comfortable around each other. And then you know, I, I moved to Taiwan, and he came over here to Taiwan for a little while, and he ended up moving to, to Shanghai. More money. But he's in Shanghai right now with a, a beautiful family. But a, about, what was it, four years ago, five years ago? Yeah. When I, when I got married, I invited my brother to come over here, and he flew right over. It was amazing. And my mother came. It was so cool. We went all around town, and uh, I took them all around Taipei just before the wedding. And I remember we went for a big meal, and then after, afterwards we went over to Coldstone, which was kind of new at the time. And we were like, oh, Coldstone. Oh, yeah, this is good. And I got strawberry shortcake, and I was like, this is amazing. I'm eating it. And I'm like, this is so good. And my mom... 
I'm like, Mom, you got to try this. She's like, oh, that is really good. Wow, this is really sweet. And I'm like, Tyler, you got to try this. Try this. And he goes, whoa. What the hell are you doing? You know, I'm allergic to strawberries. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> you, 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 you're joking, right? I mean... And he was, he was like, yes, you know I'm allergic to strawberries. And I was like, T, uh, I'm pretty sure, I'm pre- pretty sure I lied to you then. That was a long time ago. You've never had strawberries since then. He goes, I would die. And he said, and he was just like, but you're joking, right? You're joking. And I was like. And he got up from the table and he was like, 22 f-ing years! 22 f-ing years! No strawberries. And he ate a strawberry and he was like, oh, these are delicious! And then he didn't talk to me. Like, he, he, he congratulated my wife at my wedding. <laughs> so, yeah, but he, we still love each other and it's all good. <laughs> Anyways, thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks for your time. You know, after listening to that story again, I don't know if I can think of anything that was lost. I can think of a few things that were taken, but anyway, neither here nor there. Once again, that was Brandon Thompson. By day, he teaches English conversation at an all-girls high school. By night, he's the lead vocalist in a band that performs weddings and other gigs right here in Taiwan. Goes by the name Adoa. Brandon is also a member of the Taipei Players and Taipei Improv. So, lost and found... What does Brandon miss from back home? Brandon says it's definitely his friends and family. And originally, when he went back home to visit, seeing how much everything was changing back there would, well, kind of freak him out. I like to think that they're in some sort of holding pattern, and they're not going to change, and nothing's going to happen to them, and they're not going to have children, and they're not going to, you know, buy a new house, and they're not going to do all these things, from my parents to my friends. But the fact is, is I've been here so long now that everything, everything kind of changes. But since I've been in Taiwan, you know, I've, I've kind of got a Taiwanese family as well. I, I've learned that, yeah, there's a lot of people around me who are very, very supportive. I've got great friends here. You know, all the type of players and type of improv people. My, I've married, <laughs> you know. I mean, I've, I've made a life over here. So life just carries on. And I think that that's, it hasn't replaced it by any means, but it certainly... I don't feel alone. I never feel alone. That's probably what I, I find most comforting is, is the fact that I still have family and friends over here now as well. All right, time for another break. We've got one more story for you today with some travel warnings you won't find in the brochure. That's in a minute when we return. You're listening to Hearsay on ICRT-FM 100, bringing you stories on the theme, Lost and Found. Today, we're listening to stories from Taipei Story Slam's June event. For those of you who aren't familiar with the group, 
Taipei Story Slam hosts storytelling shows on the last Thursday of each month. Anyone can go and participate. You can sign up to tell a story or just watch. Either way, you're in for some great stories from a lot of talented people, both foreign and local. To become a featured storyteller at a Story Slam event, send the organizers a one-paragraph pitch of your story to taipeiplayers at gmail.com. You can learn more at Taipei Story Slam's Facebook page. Last up today, we have American expat Colin Norman, who's been on this show before. In this story, Colin was kind of doing just fine being lost. It was when he was found that things got interesting. Here's his story. I suspect at some point we all think about what it's going to be like to die. Woo! Yeah, she knows what I'm talking about. You are f***ing weird. <laughs> just kidding, I love you, Laurel. At some point, we all have that moment where we wonder what it's going to be like when someone wants us to die. We all have in our heads that moment where someone has the gun or the knife and they've decided that you are it. And whether we think we're going to be kung fu masters and disarm them and become heroes, or we think we're ninjas that are going to hide and take them out from behind when they pass us up, or whether we're just survivors that we're not going to be found. We are the last ones standing. We always think we know what's going to happen when someone comes for us. And I'm here to tell you, you don't know Because all of your fantasies and all of your ideas of what it's going to be like are gone the moment it starts. So... Let me back up. Let me tell you about my trip to the Philippines. Uh, I had come to Taiwan. I was out of money, and I really needed to get on a visa run, so I swiped my credit card and I head to the Philippines because I'm going to see a new country. I'm not going to go to Hong Kong for the seventh time. So I go to the Philippines, and I get to Manila, and I spend 12 hours in the city before I realize I don't want to be in Manila. Manila was horrible. So I... Though, I <laughs> So I look for the cheapest place to go that's right by Manila, which is Tail Volcano. Now, this is a volcano that is in a lake, but wait for it. There is another lake in the volcano, and you can swim in it. You can swim in a lake in a volcano that's in a lake. That's my head exploding for anyone listening to the podcast. Now, so I get down to this volcano, and on the way, I meet a Korean kid who is just as out of money as I am. And so we decide, hey, it's cheaper if you travel together, right? So I have a new friend, and I'm climbing this volcano. We get the boat across. It's a little expensive, but that's okay because I'm going to swim in a volcano. And so we get across the lake, and we start climbing it, and we make new friends on the way up. They're 8 to 12-year-olds riding about six horses and who like to remind us every 10 feet that we could rent the horses to go up the volcano. Uh, fortunately, we can climb, so we make new friends, we banter a bit, and we get about three-fifths of the way up, and then the kids are like, all right, these guys are chumps. They take off. We make two new friends, though. They're really nice Filipino guys, a little dirty, kind of shabby clothes, but they're really friendly. And they didn't ask us for money in the first 30 seconds that we met them, so we thought it was a good deal. So we finished the climb up the volcano, and we're looking around for how to get in. And we're like, all right, we're going to climb down this caldera, S-A-T word. We're going to climb down this caldera, and we're going to get in that lake. And the guys go, oh, are you looking to get into the volcano? He said, yeah. Hey, do you know where the trailhead is? And the guy, yeah, we can show you. So yeah, of course you can show us for money. Yeah, 20 bucks. Oh, great. Uh, no, we're good. We're going to figure it out. And he says... 
no, no, we're going to show you in. And he produces a police badge and says, you have to have a guide to get in. $20. So I talked to my new Korean friend. We split it $10 each, and we start heading down the volcano. Now, it is hairy. It, it, there's slides. You need ropes. There's places where it just drops off. And there are holes everywhere that are just pouring smoke up into the air. And so about two-fifths of the way down, I'm thinking, you know what? We might have gotten a good deal on this one. But then they stop us. And one of the guys goes off into the woods. And I stayed farther up on the edge of the slope because it's a wonderful view. I'm looking at a lake and a volcano. I'm looking at it. And I can see where the guy goes. And the other ones can't see him. And I see him go to a workbench, like Dad's garage workbench that he set up on the slope, two-fifths of the way down a volcano in the middle of nowhere. And I watch him open the drawer of the workbench and take out a 9 millimeter pistol, drop the slide, check the bullets, put the slide back, cock it, put on the safety, and put it in the front of his pants. At this point, uh, I'm starting to panic a little. <laughs> Just a bit. And, you know, you think you know what you're going to go through, but you don't. First, you go through those five steps. Like, it's ridiculous that those five steps exist, but you do it. So first comes denial. So I rejoin the group, and I'm thinking, these guys don't kill foreigners in a volcano. I would have heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> so we make it about another 100 feet in the volcano, and I'm like, what the fuck am I thinking? I don't hear about everyone that dies. People die all the time. These guys are going to kill me. Okay, next step is anger. And I go, you know what? I've done kung fu for like 10 years. Like, I could probably take this guy. So I start edging my way past the Korean kid in front of me, and I get right up on this guy's back, and I'm watching that hand, because I can see when you reach in your pants, and then you're going to learn what 10 years at kung fu does. <laughs> what am I talking about? He has a gun. There is no way I'm going to kung fu a gun. He has to step off the trail, turn, and shoot, and that is the end of Colin. That's my name. Hi. Uh, okay, third stage. Third stage is bargaining. So I'm thinking, okay, okay. Now, there's no way I'm going to get out of this volcano without him. And he has a gun. So even if I could get up this really steep slope, he's going to gun me the fuck down. So, bargaining. I bet if I just give him all of my money and explain that an American passport goes for a bunch of money, he'll probably just let me go. Right? Like, I was really friendly. And he doesn't want to kill me. And then we get near the bottom of the volcano, and he points out all of these holes that are about 20 feet deep filled with boiling rock. And I realize if he shot me and dumped me in that hole, no one would ever find me. There is no CSI that can drag a body out of boiling rock. Uh, and at that point, it also occurs to me that no one knows I'm in Tail Volcano. Last anyone heard, I went to Manila until I realized I didn't like Manila. And off from Manila, and now I'm in trouble. So, bargaining, out the window. Gone. Next is depression. I'm pretty sure this is it. I'm going to die. My mom doesn't know where I am. I'm her only son. Like, this is the worst thing ever. Like, this, this is how I go, and it's horrible. Now, we're getting right up to the lake, and finally you hit acceptance. And let me tell you, acceptance is wonderful. Really, I got to reflect on my life and thought, you know what? I've had a really good life. I've been all over Asia and Europe. I've done more in my life than most people do in like a college year abroad. You know, like I've, I'm doing well. 
And, and if this is how I go, well, hey, I had a good run. At which point, the guys get us to the lake, sit down on a rock, and pull out the gun, stick it on a rock, and start eating sunflower seeds. And go, uh, lake, just go swim. And I think, wait, seriously? That was it? That's, that's it? You just put the gun on a rock? So I start to go towards the lake, and I hear, hey, 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 hey! I think, oh, God, here it is. I slowly turn, eyes drifting across the volcano, and I see the man go, no, the mud's really hot. Go in that way. <laughs> so I walk around, burn my feet on the mud, because it's a volcano. It's really hot, and I go swimming in a lake, in a volcano, in a lake. <laughs> and so lost and found, well, I lost my nerve, but I found a hell of an adventure. So I got in the water, threw my head back, looked at the blue sky, and I went for a swim. Thank you. That was Colin Norman. He's an English teacher here in Taiwan. He does acting and improv as well. Now, obviously, his story did not take place here in Taiwan. So I asked him if he's ever faced a situation that dangerous during his time here. He gave me an emphatic, wait for it. No, in Taiwan, no. Taiwan's probably the safest place I've ever been. I think the closest I've ever come is hanging out and chatting with some gangsters. And at no point did I feel in danger. They just thought it was really funny that a foreigner was here. So they were pretty friendly gangsters? Yeah, crazy friendly. Like, part of them being cool is showing how friendly they can be to other people. Like, it's, it's the weirdest thing. Gangsters will want to show off to their friends, so they show off by being super cool to you. And one last time, lost and found, what does Colin miss? Well, Colin is kind of prone to nostalgia. He says he misses a lot of things he's left behind, even for periods of his life he didn't much like when he was there. Colin told me before he came to Taiwan, he taught English in Shanghai, and he says even though at the time he was miserable, now he often looks back on it with rosy glasses. I'll be sitting around and I'll think, man, I really miss the Xinjiang food I ate in Shanghai. And, and of course, I'm glossing over the sitting there, you know, miserable over a bowl of noodles, dreading going to class in the morning sort of thing. I'm forgetting that part, but I'm just remembering the really good food. Or uh, at home, you know, I'm thinking about how much I miss the mountains in Colorado, where I'm from. But I'll forget the part where I'm freezing and it's really dangerous to drive on the roads and all that. So I find that, that in the past, when I leave things behind, I tend to forget the bad part and just remember the good part and every now and then I need a reality check to remember you know what I'm, I'm pretty happy right now I don't necessarily need to be missing too much All right, that's it for the show today. You can let us know what you thought of the program by leaving a comment on the ICRT Facebook page or on our blog If this is something you want to hear more of from us you gotta let us know you can find today's complete program online. Look for that on the ICRT blog or the Taiwan Talk podcast stream. That's available on the ICRT website and on iTunes. Big thank you to all of our storytellers today. Also want to give a thank you to Taipei Story Slam founders and organizers, Sean Scanlon and Mandy Rovita. Their next show is their Grand Slam event featuring storytelling champions from throughout the year. That's going to be November 27th. Check out their Facebook page for more info. The show today was produced by myself with production assistance from Ping Ping Leo. Make sure to tune in next time to Hearsay for another round of Homegrown Tales. Next week, it's getting dicey with stories on the theme of friend or foe. Don't miss it. Same time, 
same place. Thanks for listening. From ICRT, I'm Keith Manconi. See you next time.